maybe you haven't heard the news. I hadn't. Donald Trump is going after libraries, public libraries. You know those places where people check out books and kids do their homework after school? For comment, we turn to Sue Halpern. She's a scholar in residence at Middlebury College and a contributor to The Nation. She's also written for The New Yorker, The New York Times Magazine, The New York Review of Books, and Rolling Stone. The last time we talked, it was about Edward Snowden. She's written several books of fiction and nonfiction. The newest is her novel, Summer Hours at the Robber's Library. It's just been published. We reached her today in Middlebury, Vermont. Sue Halpern, welcome to the program. Thank you, John. Well, Donald Trump has done so many terrible things, and here's another. What is he doing to public libraries? I I miss this story. Tell us about it. Well, most libraries are funded by a combination of money that is local, that is state, and that comes from the federal government. So the federal government contribution isn't huge, but it's significant because libraries, as you can imagine, often operate kind of close to the margin. And the Trump proposed budget for 2019 essentially eliminates all public funding for libraries, uh, for public libraries in this country. And um, he tried that uh, before in the, the previous budget that he submitted, and Congress did not go for it. But it's pretty clear that, that this is something he's gunning for. You know something about libraries in struggling urban neighborhoods and poor rural areas. Tell us about that. My husband and I moved from New York City, where uh, I spent a lot of time in the New York Public Library. It's where I wrote my uh, Ph.D. thesis. And we moved to this town that was very, very remote and did not have a public library. And through a series of uh, coincidences, I guess, um, I was asked, along with the two other people in my town, to start a library. And we're given $15,000 to start a library in our little, very, very remote town. And that $15,000 was supposed to cover our books and our heating and our te- uh, telephone and the salary of a kind of magical and unyet found uh, librarian. And kind of miraculously, it all came together, and we did do that. And what we found was that the town, which had been kind of falling on hard times, was, was, was revived by this institution, by this very small change in the kind of social fabric, um, because suddenly there was a place for people to, to go. There was a place for people who normally wouldn't have anything to do with each other, to spend time with each other, to bump into each other to have conversations um, that they wouldn't have had otherwise, and it changed the, the dynamic in this town. And if you were to go there now, the library is thriving and the town is thriving. You wrote a piece for the nation.com about Trump and libraries. I, I never thought I'd ask a question like this before, but you quote from the Public Library Association's Statement of Principles. I have to admit I'd never read it. It's actually a fascinating document, Tell us what it says. Basically, it says that uh, libraries exist for the education and, I suppose, entertainment of everybody, regardless of who they are, regardless of their age or their income or their immigration status or, you know, any other thing. Libraries are fundamental 
to the democracy that was created, you know, by our founding fathers, and and it's always been so. And so this document that the Library Association came up with simply codifies that, even though it might sound kind of radical, it really isn't. It really is just saying, you know, hey, we're a democratic institution. We record our show in Los Angeles, the L.A. Public Library, is an amazing and wonderful institution. Of course, it's, you know, a thousand times bigger than the one in your little town. It's huge, 64 community branches, eight regional branches, a magnificent central library downtown. In poor neighborhoods of L.A., sometimes the library is the only safe place for kids to go after school. It's often the nicest place in their neighborhood. The libraries in L.A. provide homework help to kids every day. They have free public computers. They say there are 2,600 free public computers in L.A. at public libraries. They run literacy classes for adults in 21 libraries in L.A. They help adults who are out of school get high school diplomas. If you're a new immigrant, you can get help at several libraries with stuff like fee waiver applications, green card renewals. There are several public libraries in L.A. that even help homeless people find work, food, housing, and other services. And, of course, they have tons of books, including books in all lots of foreign languages, including uh, Spanish. So I guess we can see why Trump would be against all this. Right. So it's, just, it's part of this sort of overall attack, first on kind of education and second on the notion that we have something to share with each other. I mean, libraries are sharing places. You know, we're dealing with uh, an administration and a president who doesn't believe in sharing. And, yeah, I mean, they, they provide services that no other public institution provides, and all within this rubric of, of a library. So, so, you know, get rid of the library, and you almost immediately get rid of literacy classes, citizenship classes, services for poor people who might not have, you know, access to high-speed Internet. I mean, you could go on and on and on. It's just part of that kind of overall big tent attempt to atomize and separate us and kind of dumb us down. Let's talk specifically about library services for immigrants. It's not just the L.A. Public Library that does that. And library services for immigrants have come under attack in some places from Trumpish people. Uh, you wrote about a library in suburban Chicago. What was the story there? The story there was that they were simply having um, what they've often had, which was a, uh, an, information sta- uh, an information session for people who were new immigrants. And they started getting hate calls from individuals telling them that they were going to call ICE and that ICE was going to come and raid it and that they had no right to be helping these people try to become citizens of the United States. And they got to the point where they decided it was so divisive and so hateful that they canceled this event. And the thing is that that they had been holding classes like that for years, and many, many libraries do. I mean, it's part of the mission of the library to help people to become literate, and part of becoming literate is becoming a literate citizen. So this this is threatening to certain people for some inexplicable reason. 
You have a new novel just published. It's called Summer Hours at the Robbers Library. In one scene, a group of new immigrants are told by a librarian that they can take out as many books as they'd like and that it's free. How does that work out in your book? It's actually a really uh, kind of poignant scene um, because this is a community where one of those sort of poorish communities in the United States where refugees are uh, resettled. And so there are a lot of new immigrants in this community, and they go to the library because their kids are learning English, and they go to the library to learn English as well. And they've, when they find out that they can just take out books and you know, they don't have to pay for it, they start bringing lots of like shopping bags and just filling them up because it seems like the most amazing, most American opportunity that has ever been. It just confirms every good thing they think about this country. And tell us more about your new novel, Summer Hours at the Robbers Library. So Summer Hours is a story about three people who have, have experienced some kind of upheaval in their life, all very different, and they're very different kinds of people who end up in this library in a kind of failing industrial New England town. And in this library, they find themselves and they find each other. And it is this way of kind of besting the, the traumas that they've experienced. It, the library is this place where they can kind of be quiet and be themselves and fall into books and fall into each other. And we heard a little barking in the background there. Would you like to tell us about who's doing the barking? Yes, that is Berkey. <laughs> Berkey is about to turn two. And I was just thinking, so this book was written after my last book, which was about our previous dog. And that book is called um, A Dog Walks Into a Nursing Home. And it's about the work that my dog Pransky and I did um, as a therapy dog team in a nursing home. And this book, Summer Hours at the Roberts Library, was written between dogs. And, and a good thing, that is, because this puppy is a very, very active puppy. And I don't think I would have gotten the book written if I was trying to uh, corral her at the same time. Sue Halpern, her new novel is Summer Hours at the Roberts Library. She wrote about Trump's attack on libraries at thenation.com. Thank you, Sue. Thank you, John. One update since we taped that segment, the Republicans in Congress rejected Trump's proposed cuts for libraries, and the budget they passed last week contained $9 million more for libraries than it did last year. Also, the Innovative Approaches to Literacy program will see $27 million restored to its budget. Trump, of course, first threatened to veto the entire budget, but later the same day signed the bill. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. 